Today we are going to do a standalone sermon, and next week it's Mother's Day weekend, so we're going to do a standalone sermon dealing with the great calling of parenting and the amazing uh, thing that being a mother is. Uh, and then the next week I'm going to be in Florida. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. The oldest boy is graduating from college, so heading down, going to hang out. and Yeah, isn't that insane? I feel young. So, well, some of the times I feel young. But anyway, my oldest boy is graduating from college. We're going to go down to Florida and hang out. So Pastor Larry is going to bring the word. It's going to be fantastic. And then uh, we will start a new series after that called Miracles. And we'll be going through uh, several different Miracle accounts in the scriptures, we'll be talking about the types of miracles that, that God does and uh, just gaining all kinds of information about what the power of God is like, how it's available, what it's for. Uh, so that I'm looking forward to that. But today we are going to talk about songs of worship, songs of worship. And so let's pray. And we'll get into uh, the material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us down here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Help us to see what you've got for us. Lord, bless our time. Each one of us is dealing with different things. And Lord, you can, you can touch us with what we need. So I pray by your spirit you would do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about church music, songs of worship. We sing every service. Have you noticed that? It's a, it's a big deal. We spend a lot of our time singing. And so why do we do that? What is that all about? That's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, uh, let's just kind of work through this. Um, much of our relationship with God is intangible it's you can't really see it you know that's something that's going on on the inside a lot of our relationship with God is intangible not easily quantifiable and that is absolutely true when it comes to worship especially up north you know if you've spent some time down south People are a little bit more open, you know, with their mannerisms and things like that. If you go to church, they're going to jump around a lot more just in general compared to up north. And that doesn't mean that God isn't doing something amazing in somebody's heart if they're just standing there. You know, I've been one of those guys. I've been in a, in a very, for Minnesota, a very exuberant church when I first started attending church regularly uh, I one of the churches I went to when I lived in Minnesota was a, a very very uh, exuberant church and they jumped around and they're laying on the floor and you know all kinds of good stuff and a lot of the times I would sit everybody else is you know they're jumping and screaming people are running around the outside of the building I mean they're having themselves in church I'm serious and a lot of times I would just be sitting down in my pew, paging through the Bible, and having a powerful time with God. Because it's something that's on the inside that we don't see on the outside. So we don't want to judge 
based on outward appearance, but we also don't want to miss the thing on the inside because all we see for our example is something that happens on the outside. So this intangible thing that's worship, how do we talk about it? How do we grab hold of it? And I'm going to uh, make a differentiation between horizontal and vertical in order to talk about this. Horizontal, you know, like the horizon is side to side. And vertical is up and down, signifying a connection with God. Horizontal side to side is a connection with each other. Vertical is a connection with God. And that's an intangible difference that's going on on the inside of us that isn't easy to observe uh, on somebody else. And so we want to cultivate a vertical worship relationship with God. And so let's, let's apply this vertical versus horizontal concept in order to get, uh, get a good grip on this. Have you ever prayed purely for the benefit of the people who were there, but it had nothing to do with God whatsoever? Have you ever done that? They're, they're like, no. I've seen people pray before they eat. It has nothing to do with God at all. It's just the socially appropriate thing to do. And so we want to eat, so you got to do this thing, so you just pray, and then you, you know. But it's not about connecting with God. <laughs> it's about the socially appropriate thing that you do in front of people. You know what I mean? It's not really giving thanks to God for what He has provided. It's just saying what you're supposed to say before you eat. Have you, have you noticed that? Has that ever happened to anybody else? Yeah, a little bit. So that can be horizontal. We can pray horizontally. Jesus uh, just really chewed out the Pharisees about praying to impress people. You know, they're the fancy religious people and they'd have lengthy prayers and their whole purpose was to impress the people that were listening to them pray. That's horizontal. Now, of course, we can pray vertically and that's where we want to. We want to pray and know God is listening. And be conscious of the presence of God while we pray. That's vertical prayer versus horizontal. We can read the Bible horizontally or vertically. We can read it, you know, thinking, okay, well, this theologian thinks this, so they would interpret this verse this way, and that sort of a thing. Or you can read the scriptures in the in the sense of understanding this is the living word of God and God can speak to me as I read the scriptures. God can talk to me through his spirit and I want to know what God has for me today and we can read the scriptures in a vertical manner or we can do it in a horizontal manner. And I got to tell you this, this is a different book when you read it vertically than it is when you read it horizontally. One of the probably top three things that changed my life was when I decided I'm just going to believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God and I'm going to go with it. Life-changing. I started to read it vertically rather than horizontally. It was life-changing. There's all kinds of different things in church we can do horizontally or we can do vertically. I think it's one of the dangers of growing up in church. Now, it's better to grow up in church than it is to not grow up in church. Amen? But you can think horizontally and assume horizontal things 
when you grow up in church because you can't see the vertical things that are going on on the inside of somebody else. And so you can think, okay, well, if I, everybody's going to be happy if I raise my hands, so I'll raise my hands. That's horizontal. You know, mom is going to be like, oh, you know, whatever. But what we want to do is grab hold of a vertical connection with God, whatever it is that we're doing. And of course, with music, it's essential that we have a vertical connection with God. Now, Peter, do you know you can suffer horizontally or you can suffer vertically? Horizontal suffering isn't something God is super excited about. But suffering, picking up your cross and following Christ, is something that God cares about deeply. And Peter missed this when Jesus was describing what would happen to him, that he would be, uh, he would be betrayed, he would be humiliated, he would be uh, scourged, crucified, and die Peter was like looking at it horizontally and saying, this is a bad thing. But Jesus knew it was who he was supposed to be. It was his calling. And this is the response Jesus gives to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 23. Because Peter was seeing it horizontally. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's not a very nice thing to say. It's very strong. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So to translate that into our terminology, Jesus was saying to to Peter, you are thinking about this horizontally. You're not understanding this vertically. You're not understanding the connection with God, the importance of this ministry, the sacrifice that needs to be made for the salvation of mankind. You're not seeing that. You're seeing a person that you love having to suffer, and that's a bad thing, but that's, that's just horizontal. And so we need to grab hold of the difference between music and songs of worship. Very different things. So we want to have a vertical worship experience of honoring God in our heart in song. What if I'm not musical? You ever been, some people aren't musical, right? What if I'm not musical? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever been to a birthday party? Yeah, I've been to birthday parties. What happens at birthday parties? You sing happy birthday. If you're not musical, do you just sit there angry during happy birthday? I'm not musical, and here they are singing. No, you just go ahead and sing happy birthday, right? Because why? It's, a, you're, it's not about you, and you don't have to be very good. You just sing happy birthday because it's a fun part of honoring the person whose birthday it is. And that's, you know, that's kind of a a good way to look at music in church is it's not about being musical, it's about honoring God. But that being said, there are many other ways to worship God than with song. My personal favorite is to get as far away from everything as I possibly can, out in the middle of nowhere in nature, and just be in the presence of God. I don't, you know, I might pray... I'll probably just sit there 
and just think, wow, God is awesome. Look at this. And just be in the presence of God. There's lots of different ways to worship God, and music is one of them. And so uh, as we sing, we want to have it be a worship experience, but also recognize there are other ways to worship God. Um, Things in the scriptures described as worshiping, uh, worshiping God are things like living according to God's ways. Following the precepts of God. That's worship. Things like offerings and sacrifices. That's worship. One of the primary Old Testament acts of worship was to bring sacrifices to God. Our giving is worship. And then there's bowing down is described in the scriptures as worship. Bowing down. And that of course... Uh, I think physically as we bow down, we can experience it better, but it's, it's truly a heart bowing down before God. Honoring and loving God. Whatever mechanisms you use for that, that's what we're talking about. The key is to profoundly honor God in your heart. And that's a vertical experience that's intangible. We can't see it from the outside. So, what is worship in song? What is this thing that we do in church? I've, I've heard people who don't get it. You know what I mean? If it's, if it's vertical, some people don't connect with the vertical. So they're not sure what this is talking about. And I've heard people discuss it. And I think there's two primary ways that this is misunderstood. I've heard people, uh, you know, they're like, yeah, there's those churches where they sing a lot. And I don't know what they're doing, but it... Here's what they'll often say is it seems like it's some sort of setup for the sermon. Like it's a, they're trying to get people ready for the sermon or something. Well, let me tell you, the song service can stand on its own. Have you been to church and during the music time, God moved in your heart so powerfully that you didn't need anything else? You just had... Uh, you know, it's going to take you some time to just process that. You know, uh, it's not a setup for something else. It's its own thing. It's a time of honoring and worshiping God and connecting with God and building that vertical relationship with God. And so it's not something that's there as a means to something else. Worshiping God in song is its own thing. We just... Honor God in our hearts, musical or not. Uh, The other thing people will say is it's a form of entertainment to try to get people to show up for church. You know, we've got to have something good so that people will want to be there because if we don't have something entertaining, they're not going to come, you know, Uh, which is a scary thing because that is a very big misunderstanding of worship. Now, I hope worship is enjoyable. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of my favorite experiences in life have been in large group settings of worshiping God in song. Fantastically enjoyable experiences. But it's not about being entertained. Amen? It's about connecting with God, worshiping and honoring God, and being in the presence of God and letting God move in your heart and change things 
on the inside of you. So it's not sermon set up. It's not entertainment. I think about worship this way, that songs of worship are a form of prayer. That it's really, if we're going to put this in a category, it's prayer. It's about connecting with God. We're singing prayers. We're singing things from our heart. It's prayer. And my notes say, forgive my weirdness. But uh, I think music is a kind of spirit language. Where there's, there's a thing we can connect with in music that we don't connect with in other ways. Before I became a Christian, music was important to me. And it was important to me not because I liked music. But because I was able to connect with something that wasn't super great. Uh, Do you know we can use music to connect with things that aren't God? Amen? We can connect with violence. We can connect with just so many different negative things through music because music speaks on a different level. And I would use music to cultivate rage for uh, basically for sports in order that was, you know, back then before they knew what was going on. The, the key idea was just hate your opponent. If you hate your opponent enough, you'll win. Do you remember though? If you're old enough, you remember those days. That was the basic idea was you must hate your opponent. And so I would use music to cultivate that hate and to cultivate the rage necessary to, to function at the peak level. And uh, that was a damaging spiritual experience. And after I became a Christian, I started to notice the effects it was having on my heart. As I would be in environments where people would sing songs of worship to the Lord, you can feel the power of that and where that draws you spiritually. And then you listen to your old music and you feel the power of it and where it draws you spiritually. And so music is, I think, it's kind of a spirit language. We get to connect with something, and I don't fully understand all that, but we connect with something, and we can connect with God, and we can connect with darkness through music. Let's connect with God. When did people start singing in church? I'm not exactly sure, but Moses is recorded as singing to God in Exodus chapter 15, uh, the uh, songs of worship were important in the nation of Israel in Old Testament times. King David sang lots of songs to God. Uh, we're going to look at a piece of scripture here where King Solomon is beginning the temple uh, worship. This is the, the temple, Solomon's temple gets built. And in they go. So here's the big deal. Not only can we sing to the Lord, but God will listen and respond. So when we pray, we are conscious that God is listening, right? Right? 
If we're not, then it's horizontal. But if we're conscious of the fact that God is listening when we pray, it's vertical. Now let me tell you, God is listening when we sing too. So being conscious of the fact that God is listening is important. And then we need to recognize that God will respond. God responds to prayer. God responds to singing too. And we're going to look at two scriptures that talk about how God responded in amazing ways to his people singing. Let's start in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 5 in verse 1. Again, this is, the, this is the peak, pinnacle moment. The great temple has been completed and they're going to have themselves some temple worship and it's going to be fantastic. King Solomon's got it all going. So here we go. 2 Chronicles 5 verse 1. When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver and gold and all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the men of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark uh, and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests who were Levites carried them up. And King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. So there's times in the Bible where it says, and they sacrificed 10,000 bulls. This one says it's so many we didn't even, we couldn't even tell how many. That's a lot. Lots and lots. I don't know how many, but a lot. Verse 7. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Those are angels. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and covered the Ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends extending from the Ark could be seen from in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place, and they are still there today. Now, they were there today when this was written, but they're not there today now. So, there you go. Verse 10. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites, who were musicians... So the Levites, you've got priests and Levites. The Levites, priests too, but they were the musical ones. They were the musicians. And then you had the ones that oversaw the offerings, the sacrifices, and who taught uh, the words of God. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, who incidentally wrote quite a few of the Psalms, uh, Haman, Jedathan and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. Lyres were like guitars. They were stringed instruments. A lot of them were eight strings, uh, but they were a stringed instrument. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. So we've got 120 trumpets. We've got... 
How many stringed instruments are you going to need for that to be heard when you've got 120 trumpets? You know, I mean, this is going to be a very, very loud, very, very big expression of worship in song. They got cymbals, harps, lyres, 120 trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. So why did they join in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord? Not to say, look what Solomon has accomplished in his great wealth and wisdom, but to honor the living God. Not to say, what what a cool spectacle this is, I'm going to invite my friends. What they were doing was praising and honoring, giving thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voice in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. You heard that song? That's in like 30 of the Psalms. His love endures forever. They sang that and God responded. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not perform their service Because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. So God's people in unison with, I don't know, 500 instruments being played, 120 trumpets plus cymbals and harps. And I mean, and all these voices coming in together to worship God and God looked down and said, I'm coming to the party. And the glory of God was so thick, people couldn't see. It was like a cloud. They had to stop doing church because no one could see in the cloud of the presence of God, the glory of God. God saw it and he responded. Wouldn't it have been neat to have been there on that day? But does God inhabit the praises of His people today too? Amen. When we honor and worship, give thanks to God in song, His presence comes here. And I haven't seen a cloud where I can't see anymore, but I've been in a thick presence of God in worship where you can just feel it and like God is here. That's been happening since... King Solomon, it still happens today. Let's look at a completely different scenario. Here, the nation is coming together in great victory. All kinds of amazing things are going on. Let's go to a very different situation. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas have decided to serve God, and they got in some trouble and got thrown in prison. So you got two guys versus the thousands upon thousands. And they're going to sing songs too. So let's take a look here at a very, very different situation. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged. Now, the flogging is a beating. In the... In this day, I wouldn't want to be flogged. 
However, there's another word added to it, which is the word severely, which means they gave him a little extra. How would you be feeling if you had given your life to serve Christ? You're fighting the good fight, you're doing what you know to do, and everyone turns on you, they take you and beat you severely. Would you be like, yay, I'm so excited. His love endures forever. You know? It'd be, most people would have a negative reaction to that. Then they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So again, severely flogged, inner cell, feet in the stocks. How are you feeling in your heart? How is your vertical worship experience going? That would be a challenge, right? Let's see what's going on here. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now it's midnight. You should be sleeping at midnight. But I think they were uncomfortable enough to where they were unable to sleep. And so they decided, you know what? Let's give thanks to God. Let's sing His praises. Let's have church. Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's have a special time of worship. Let's just honor God in the inner cell. And they did. And the other prisoners were listening. And, in, and God was watching. And the glory cloud came in in, uh, in the Old Testament temple with Solomon. And God is going to respond here as well. Let's see what we got the next verse. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. I can just see in heaven God watching Paul and Silas and seeing what's going on in their heart. The temptation to become bitter and to to lament and say, why God? And instead, they're having church and they're worshiping God. And God's like, oh, I can't take that anymore. And he shakes the place. And the doors fly open and the chains fall off. And we'll talk about this particular miracle because there's a lot more to it in our series on miracles. But God responded to the singing of Paul and Silas. Let's sing to God knowing that he is listening and that he will respond. If you're in a place where everything's going great, like with Solomon in the temple, sing God's praises in your victories and God will respond. If you're in the place like Paul and Silas where everything's fallen apart, where life has become extremely miserable, sing God's praises and he will respond. It's the first Sunday of the month. It's communion Sunday. So we are going to receive communion. I'm going to invite the ushers up and the prayer teams up uh, to take their places and start handing out the communion elements. And as they do that, we're going to look at a psalm 
that David sang. King David, the one who slew Goliath, the, uh, the father of Solomon. Go ahead and make it happen. Now David, King David, was not a perfect man. If you know the stories of David, he made significant mistakes. Thank you. He wasn't perfect, but I tell you, he was passionate about God. Here at Good Hope, if you would like to take communion, you are free to do so. However, make it vertical, not horizontal. Make it a real thing between you and God. Uh, Don't do it because they're bringing it by. Uh, Do it because you want to honor God and remember what Jesus did on the cross. So if if you don't feel ready to take communion, just pass. It'll be perfectly fine. But if you want to, um, make it real between you and God. So David sang songs to God. He was a musical person. And he was a passionate person. And he sang songs to God in victory times. And he sang songs to God when he was in pain. And uh, one of the psalms is about betrayal with Absalom. And the psalm we're going to read today, or pieces of it, is from a situation where David had a moral failure. He had failed. It's a psalm that David wrote in response to the Bathsheba incident. If you're familiar with that, uh, David ended up committing adultery to cover it up. He had the husband killed, like super bad stuff. Major, major failure. And David writes a song for the songbook of the nation of Israel about it. When was the last time a key leader had a moral failure and wrote a song and it got into the, you know what I mean? Like, it's a strange thing. Let's look at this psalm, pieces of it, and try to get what we can. Psalm 51 Verses 1 and 2 show his heart in the situation. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. So we know what these transgressions are. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So David is appealing to God. This is a prayer that is a song. Cleanse me from my sin. Take away my iniquity. He's singing the song to God and it becomes part of the nation's songbook. We jump to verse 16. 16 and 17 is the intangible. This is an amazing thing. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Oh God, you will not despise. Now does God like sacrifices? He showed up in, you know, the next generation with Solomon with the glory cloud after so many sacrifices that it couldn't even be counted. But what King David is saying here is, what I've done is beyond a horizontal effort. To pay for what I've done, I have to offer to you a broken heart. 
Oh, Lord, my God, I am sorry. And so he offers God a broken heart. Verse 18, we get into the tangible. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Next verse. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So David isn't saying we're going to stop doing sacrifices. He's saying today my iniquity calls for a broken heart to be offered to you. Then we'll get back to the other stuff. But this is a deeper thing. Now you and I, our sin has been paid for by Christ. We don't need to offer God anything because the offering has already been done. But when we lay a broken heart before God, He responds. He binds up the brokenhearted. And He brings us to a place of healing, to a place of forgiveness, to a place of restoration with Him so that we don't have to be afraid to go vertical. A lot of times people will go horizontal because they don't want to directly interact with God because they're afraid of being rejected. They're afraid of, you know, that their own sin and their own problems is going to mess up that relationship. But let me tell you, Jesus died on the cross, and we remember that through communion for this reason, so that you could go to the Lord. You could have a relationship with the living God without fear, that your inadequacies, that your past failures, that your sin would ruin that relationship. No fear about that at all. So we can remember what Jesus did on the cross. Know that when we ask for forgiveness, the forgiveness is total and complete and we are made worthy to be able to enter into a real relationship with the living God. So let's partake together And then I'll invite people to come up for personal prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you, Lord, that we can sing your praises and that you hear and that you respond. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did on the cross to take our sins away, that we don't need to offer more than what you've done because what you've done is sufficient. It is enough. It is finished. But Lord, we offer ourselves to you. And we ask you to bind up our broken hearts. To restore us into your good graces. And to bless us and encourage us. And we know that can be done through what Jesus did on the cross. And so we remember and we honor that this morning. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Hallelujah. And this is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Amen. I'm going to close in prayer and then invite people up for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, We just honor you and we worship you. 
Lord, I pray for those who are not musical and have not really connected with you in that way. Lord, I pray that you would bring a measure of that into their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to know fully and completely what was done on the cross, that we are free, that we are, we are good enough in your eyes. Lord, encourage us, give us strength, let your light shine within us and overflow into our world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.